This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. All right. Welcome back to the Outdoor Drive Podcast. This is your boy, East Coast Trev, and this is Steve. And we are here with number 106, man. Can you imagine? We're six after 100. Yeah. That, that's usually what that's, happens when you add six to 100. <laughs> yeah. That's wild, man. To me, like, it's, it's, it blows me away that we are over that hump, over that margin. Hey, man. It, it's not the way I look at it. We're not over that hump. We're just starting the next one. That's right. We're we're here and we're we are fighting till the death. So, yeah, and, and I must say, 106 does not upset. <laughs> really no, cool this, stories. It's it's one of those things, man. We're gonna take the the drive via plane to Alaska, and one I kind of looked forward to, honestly, after. You know, um, a good friend of ours, Steph, kind of pointed us in the direction of uh, of Tana, and she had killed this giant caribou. But I won't get too much into that, honestly. I don't, I don't want to tear it up for everybody. I want them to kind of hear what's kind of going on from her because her stories are, what do you say, Steve? Next to none. I mean, the, you can't make them up. They're they're legitimate, one hundred percent real as it comes. Nitty gritty, do it yourself, and it's. They're not just doing it to trophy hunt. They're they're doing it for survival. Mm-hmm. They're just happen to get trophies as they do it. So, I mean, all that tells me is they're good at what they do. That's right. Um, and so that we don't forget, you guys can check her out over on Instagram, Facebook, and also on YouTube. Um, In the Rut is her YouTube page. Uh, all of her hunts are there, self-filmed with her, her husband, and her brothers. Yeah, just so you guys can kind of check I those think. out. Stuck, stuck in, the, in rut. the rut. What did I say? In the rut. I say, oh, <laughs> stuck in the rut, guys. Um, the links will be below here on the podcast. You guys aren't going to want to miss those, and make sure that you guys check those out uh, and follow her along. Um, it's actually, I think her Instagram. Let me just pull that up real quick, just so that we have the right one, so we can point you in the right direction. Uh, it's Tana Sue Fit. 
um, on Instagram. Some of the pictures are absolutely incredible. Some of the the animals that they've taken and the things that they've done. So get on over the social media, check those guys out. It's definitely, uh, definitely won't be, won't be, uh, it's worth your, it's worth your time. I promise you that. So. <laughs> you, I see your, uh, your mind is where my mind was throughout this whole tale. It's just kind of like, wow, this is blown real. away. You, you went through this and you say it so casually. I mean, it's, impressive. I know so impressive. It is so impressive. And, you know, for me, Alaska is one of those places that I'm actually afraid to go. Right. Like in, in the back of my mind, it's, it's one of those things that like, I'm like, man, if I go there, I'm probably never going to come home. Yeah. Like, I don't want to come home. I want to stay there because like every story that I've ever heard from Alaska, the fishery up there, the the wildlife up there is just, it's next to none. So why, I mean, and to hear her stories, like just totally seals the deal for me. Totally seals the deal. Well, and that tends to be from my experience, what happens, you get up there and you either leave immediately or you never leave. Mm-hmm. So... I think we'll fall in that latter category and the way the world's going, that may not be a bad choice before long. <laughs> That's such a truth and be remote. I, do you know how to fly a plane, Steven? Nope, but I can figure it out. There are schools for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. We got to figure out how to buy a plane and lift ourselves off to Alaska. Yeah. Well, I think it'd make more sense to get there and then buy a plane while you're there. Yeah, well, probably. I want to be able to get from here. here to there in a Super Cub is probably going to be more than you want to put into it. <laughs> a lot more expensive than a, a flight. Truth to that, buddy. Truth to that, man. Uh, well, I'm I'm excited about this one. Definitely. Before we dig too deep into it, though, let's see what's going on in the world. Yeah, let's do that. Bringing you the news for the cruise is our good buddy, Mike Salter. Take it away, Mike. Hey, everyone. We're going to kick this one off in Wisconsin, where the DNR announced Monday that the statewide quota for the fall 2021 wolf season has been set at 130 wolves. The quota was set based on available information and scientific modeling, as well as input from the Wolf Harvest Committee, Natural Natural Resources Board, and many groups and members of the public who provided comments. State licensed hunters and trappers will be authorized to harvest 74 wolves within the six zones established in the regulations, and the remaining 56 will be allotted for the state's tribes. There will be a ratio of five to one for licenses to tags, meaning that 370 licenses will be awarded. The DNR plans to notify successful applicants on October 25th, at which point licenses will go on sale. The DNR also is currently updating the state's wolf management plan and is working towards a 10-year plan to help guide management decisions starting in 2022, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, Now to Washington, where the Department of Fish and Wildlife is seeking public comment on proposed spring black bear rule changes for 2022. The proposal is to reduce the number of permits from 688 to 664 for 2022. The department is requesting written comments be submitted by October 21st. There is a link uh, to a survey on the department's website, or comments can be submitted via email to 2020springbear at publicinput.com. The Fish and Wildlife Commission will also hold a public hearing at their October meeting on the proposed rule changes. 
Now to Wyoming, where the Game and Fish Department is currently monitoring an outbreak of EHD uh, in whitetail and pronghorn populations. Uh, seems to be a trend with uh, the way things are going across the country right now. A lot of places you're seeing EHD pop up. Uh, there's a growing presence of the disease on the eastern side of the state, uh, with continued spread expected, especially in the Black Hills. The department is tracking the spread uh, and is offering an online map of identified locations through their website. The map only identifies lab-confirmed cases, and once an area has been identified, the lab will no longer continue to sample there. So be aware of those areas and report any deer or pronghorn suspected of dying from EHD to the Game and Fish Department. Lastly, we're going to take a look at a new potential IGFA world record fish that has been caught. Hungarian angler Thomas uh, Trexler, who caught a 31-pound, 7-ounce roving coral grouper while on vacation in Egypt. Uh, the fish was measured and released, uh, but if confirmed, the fish will best the current record of 16 pounds, 12 ounces, uh, which may seem like a huge jump, but it's due to the limited number of entries uh, for the species. So regardless of the outcome, congratulations on a great fish. As always, please send your news in. Uh, it's greatly appreciated. You can reach out to me at bearded underscore bowhunter 21 on Instagram or at Mike Salter on Facebook. And with that, enjoy the rest of your ride. Good old Mike dropping the heat again. Guys, don't forget about him. Hit him up on Instagram or Facebook with news for the news for your crews, man. Mikey always needs the news and wants to know what's going on in the world. Help this man out. Send him your nudes. I mean, news. I meant news. Send him your news. <laughs> oh, trap, trap, trap. Sorry. <laughs> old Sorry. habits die hard. I had to. Old habits die yep, hard. They always, they don't, <laughs> yep, can't t- can't teach an old dog new tricks. It just, just doesn't work out, Steven. Oh, well, man, awesome. I think... Uh, Honestly, uh, let's thank the partners that partner with us and let's get on with the show because enough of us and I mean, you don't want to hear us blabble. You want to, we definitely want to get on with Tana. Let's do it. All right, guys, make sure to get it on over new, new era archery.com for the Zeus broadheads or the Aries. They are the official broadhead of the outdoor drive podcast, Gator outdoors, outfitting the working class for you. Just kidding. So get on over to gatoroutdoors.com. And get yourselves the true timber from their their shop, man. They got everything that you could want for this season. Cold, not cold. Maybe if you're going up to Alaska, you can get your, their packable down because that stuff is out of this world. Also, Nor'easter Game Calls, Nor'easter Game Calls. Get them in close. Um, the Outdoor Drive series, Grunt Tubes are there. They are in stock. Make sure to get yours before they are out of stock. Also, Latitude Outdoors, LatitudeOutdoors.com, the method to the most comfortable two-panel saddle in the world, and I will stand behind that. If you buy a Latitude and you don't like it, you call me and I will buy it from you. I promise you that. Also, um, Out on the Limb, Out on the Limb, MFG.com, they have your custom um, camera arms, platforms, so on and so forth, anything that you can think of. Also, the Hush Tree Stand for you guys that aren't into the saddle world. Now, get on over there, out on the limb, mfg.com. Well done. We rolled Simple. right through those, man. Yeah. Well, you know. Well, it sounded like you were. It uh, happens when you've done it 106 times. <laughs> I probably 
212 times because I probably had to redo a couple of them. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I'm saying, Steve? Uh, It's just one of those things, buddy. Hey, comes with. I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, let's quit holding everybody up and let's uh, let's get right into this. What do you think? Let's go, dude. All right. We're back on the phone with Tana all the way from Alaska. How are you? doing good it's a nice pretty day outside yeah yeah is it is it is it like the heart of the hunting season for you up there yeah it's pretty much in full swing well moose season is now over um but then we kind of enter into bear season and then deer and goats and then trapping and wolf hunting and i, I feel like hunting really never ends here which is awesome so it's like a 365 365- day a year thing for you um there's always something you know I mean not maybe not every single day but just to kind of walk you through the seasons of our year you know winter is a lot of trapping and uh then we kind of go into spring which we do a lot of shed hunting summer there's a couple months there's not a lot of hunting going on which sucks but then there's fishing so (laughs) we do a lot of subsistence fishing and get a lot of salmon and then we go right into caribou and then moose and then bears. And so it's, it's always something. And sometimes we have a spring bear season too. So um, it just depends on the year. It kind of alternates spring and fall for bears. So there's kind of always something to do in the outdoors up here, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm in the wrong state. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody. Yeah. Everybody. <laughs> Nobody wants to deal with the darkness and the cold and the challenges of Alaska. That's crazy. Well, why don't we turn this key? We'll get this drive underway. Why don't you tell everybody who you are, where you're from, and a little bit about what you do? All right. Well, my name is Tana Grenda. I originally grew up in Idaho, but I live in Bush, Alaska now. And when we talk about the bush, it's mainly off the road system. So you have to fly an airplane to get to where I am. And I live out here with my husband, who's a pilot um, full time. And then I've got six kids all through foster care. Five are adopted. Um, So, yeah, we've got a busy, busy life. My husband flies and I work from home. I own a fitness and nutrition business and do a lot of coaching for hunters specifically and so yeah I feel like I'm a a really busy mom but I do the best that I can to get out there because I love hunting and growing up in Idaho I had lots of brothers and that's all I did it's all I grew up doing and so being outside is one of my favorite things hunting especially so what made you kind of like made you move to Alaska over Idaho um it's kind of funny I got my pilot's license when I was 17 And I just kind of got this random scholarship that I applied for and I did it and I got it. And then once I became a pilot, I wanted to be immersed in the aviation world. And I just kept seeing things about Alaska. And this was like well before social media world and stuff and before all that really popular. But I would hear stories about, you know, pilots in Alaska. And then I thought about doing air traffic control. And so I actually moved to Alaska not soon after high school, but a year or two after. And I moved up here alone when I was 19 and I went to college in Anchorage. It was a whole new world for me, but I always tell people the second I stepped in Alaska, I felt like I was home. Like it was a one place away from home that I felt like home. And then once I did my first hunt in Alaska, it was a doll sheep hunt. Oh. It was like, okay, I'm never leaving. So I, I drew a really great tag my first year of residency 
and then it was like it was all over from there so is there a lot of bonuses of being a resident over a non-resident in alaska yeah oh yeah as far as like hunting goes and stuff because i seen like like for example you had the emperor goose the other day and that's like one thing that's like one of the hardest things to get up there is there other animals that are like that yeah i mean so emperor is pretty tough i think they only give out 20 non-resident tags a year or something as a resident you can shoot one per year so that's one of the things it's like whoa it's even as a resident you only get one per year whereas with a lot of other things there may not be limits or it's subsistence so you get as much as you need um you know wolves you can shoot 10 wolves per day you don't even need a tag for them so it's like there's just a lot of really awesome opportunities for residents up here the biggest though would probably be bear like grizzly and brown bears um goats and sheep because those three things as a non-resident you have to have a guide to go on those hunts and those are you know 20 to 30 grand right and as a resident they're like 25 bucks or free (laughs) Um, nothing's free like you gotta usually fly Mm. out and and get your gear and stuff but um you know if you're a non-resident you have to get a guide or you can have a next of kin relative so like my brothers come up and they use me (laughs) that's why they supported (laughs) me moving here they use me to guide them on um goat hunts and sheep hunts and bear hunts and they get to do it just for a non-resident cost for the tag instead of paying a guide if that makes sense. That's awesome. That's crazy. That's got to be the most awesome thing about that. Like, cause you have the the benefit of a lot of things that not a lot of people are able to get. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's pretty cool. As long as you have a license, you can pretty much print anything online. You know, you don't go into an office and like get your tag and pay for things. Like I'll just go out like, what, what should we hunt this weekend? We kind of look at the area. We look at the regs. We look at the tags that are available. We go online, we print them out. They're free. You just print out as many as you want and you'll go out and be like, Oh, I, I can shoot five black bears in this area. Cool. So you print out five black bear, you know, permits, and then you've got your moose tag and then you got your caribou tag. And I mean, you just always have a pocket full of tags, which is super cool. And you just print them out and they're free. <laughs> it's a resident. It's pretty awesome. But then That's you have to awesome. deal with Alaska. So it's like give and take, but to me, hundred percent worth it. So, but that, that then becomes like, that's your food source for the year and stuff like that. Like you kind of, yep. you have to really, you know, pay attention to that, like the fish and so on and so forth to kind of get you through the the year. Yeah, definitely. So I have to ship all my food out here. We have a tiny little store. If you walked into it, you would probably cry. It's like $14 for a gallon of milk right now, $9 for a dozen eggs. You know, I mean, it's crazy. And they have a tiny little produce section. I'm like a nutrition coach. So I eat a lot of healthy food and the rest is processed. It's like, $10 for a bag of chips, you know, it's just insane. And so there's this tiny little store here for like essentials. If you need them, like (laughs) the other day I went, I was like, crap, I'm out of contact solution. I go in the store that's $25 for a thing of contact solution. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So if you can just imagine how much it costs to feed a family of eight out here, it's unrealistic. It's not really possible if you're just provide, if you're not providing for yourself in another way. And so we have four freezers. We fill one full of salmon, one full of moose, no, two full of moose, and then one full of like caribou and deer and whatever else that we get. So we live off four freezers for the whole year until the next season. And it saves us so much money, honestly, and just the meat and the protein, because I have to ship in all of our produce from 300 miles away and like pay for a shopper and then 
pay 60 cents a pound to ship. You know, it's just logistically hard to get food. It's not like you just have a grocery store down the street that you can just go buy everything. It's very limited. So a lot of our hunting and fishing, yes, we love it. Yes, we enjoy it. But a lot of it is like we are filling the freezers or I'm paying thousands of dollars to get meat from somewhere else. And that's just not feasible. Wow. So you have to all do it on your own. Yeah, that's nuts. Yeah. But that's but that's the way that we all kind of want to live, right? I mean, like, yeah. but then we just, I mean, here, but instead <laughs> we end up in the grocery store. You drive by McDonald's and it's just easier, right, to then go there. And then other than to just make food at home where you don't have that choice, you have to yeah. literally get your food outdoors. Yeah. I haven't been to a fast food place in a long time. <laughs> you're, you're not missing out on much, honestly. Your fast food comes after the shot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're like, hmm, rabbit sounds good tonight. We go out, shoot some rabbits, <laughs> make, make a rabbit meal. That's we so... ate ducks last night. It was great. So it, we love it. We really do. Does it make it easier for you as far as like being a pilot and your husband being a pilot to go to different places and hunt or... Yeah. I mean, where we're at, we don't have a road system. And so we have a very small little road and the rest is rivers. And so the people that can't fly or don't have an airplane, they can only get so far in a boat. And then we want to distance ourselves from the majority of people. And so having an airplane and being able to fly to literally unlock any part of Alaska that you want, because we have a super cub and that airplane gives you like the extra 10% that a lot of other planes can't get to. And so having that that skill set. My husband's an amazing pilot. I don't really fly anymore. He does. Um, and then having the tool, the airplane to get us separated and away from people. I mean, the possibilities are really endless for what he can do. It's pretty amazing. All you need is ab gas. And so, you know, that gets expensive, but it's so amazing. Like the places that we get to go and the places he lands, you're just like, an airplane can go there. And he's like, yeah, watch me. <laughs> and he'll just set it down. And you're like, Okay. All right, cool. We're <laughs> let's, here. Let's get you know, <laughs> so it's, it's kind of like our car. It's our way to get around. That's kind of crazy coming from somebody who's already a pilot. Like you sure you can land that there? <laughs> like, do you ever become oh. uneasy when it's, when he's trying to land the plane or. I mean, it depends. There are times where we'll kind of check each other. And he's like, if you ever feel uncomfortable, tell me and I won't land there. Like we, we want to make sure that we're both on the same page. I've seen enough now of what he can do. I couldn't do that. I mean, I would never land in these places, but his skill set is another level. And so now I'm a little bit more used to it where I'm seeing places like, oh yeah, he's going to land there. Um, occasionally I'll still see places that I'm like, you're doing what? <laughs> <laughs> We're landing there. What? How? And then he does it and you're like, okay, we did it. <laughs> what? What's probably one of the craziest things that's happened to you while flying? Oh gosh, which, which time <laughs> um, we've been in a lot of bad weather. So Alaska just gets crazy, crazy weather. And so we've been in positions where we just have like fog and rain come through in a way that you can't see anything and you're flying at treetops. I've never been in an, in a crash. My husband has well, well before I met him, we've been together or married now seven years um and thankfully he kind of got all of his crashes out before i met him and then <laughs> he gained enough experience to, like no better um so i haven't been in any super sketchy situations but we have been in positions where we've gotten stuck like we landed on a ridge top once 
um, just to kind of play around with our new super cub. And it was a tundra that we thought was hard and it wasn't, it was that spring stuff. And so even though it was at the top of a ridge, it was like just muck underneath, almost just like goo and quicksand. And we landed in this spot and the whole left bush wheel sunk down in the mud to where the wing was almost touching. Wow. And we're up on this ridge and it's blowing like 30 and we're like, crap, now what? And so I've been in more positions than once holding on to the outside of the airplane and like pushing the wing up and out of the wing strut up and down to try to like push it out of while he's like giving it power. And try, I mean, just imagine like a four wheeler with wings is kind of what it's like. And so we got stuck that time. Um, last week, the wind tried to like come under the wing and it flipped it a little bit while it was tied down while we're moose hunting. Um, but that didn't do any damage. Thankfully, two weeks ago, this was like a couple days before I went out on my moose hunt. We had like a big belly pod under the airplane. This is where we stash all of our gear and it has two straps, has one in the front, one in the back and it's fiberglass. And so this holds like hundreds of pounds of meat sometimes. And it's just a really thick, heavy duty strap. Well, the strap broke in flight while we were flying and we had gear and stuff in there. I can't remember what it was, but it's probably like binos and like expensive stuff. And I see the strap fly out and it like hits my window next to me. And he's like, what is that? And I, I look down, I'm like the strap broke. And so we have the belly pod. It's got one strap on the back and the front is like dangling off the front of the airplane. And you're going like 80 miles an hour. And now we're over the tundra and we're like, we need to land because either a, this thing is going to fall off and we're going to lose everything or B when we land, it's going to fall off and make us crash or flip. You have all this weight just right. sagging and hanging from the, the belly. And so we quickly find this river and a little um, like gravel bar that we could land on. And he sets it down and we're just both hanging on like, please don't fall off. Cause if it does, it's going to flip us. And it didn't thankfully, like it just kind of hung there and stayed there until we came to a stop. And then we just ratchet strapped it on and kept flying. <laughs> so it's just things like that all the time. Um, my husband was flying, he landed on a riverbank once. And for whatever reason, the gear leg just broke, like just snapped in half. They just get a lot of wear and tear. And so you're doing right. lots of maintenance all year long just to keep up on it. And it just snapped and the, the wheel folded under it. He had to fly at home. You know, you don't have a maintenance <laughs> shop out here. Like you have to get it home somehow. And he flew it home with a, you know, dangling wheel. And then he had to land on it just on one. So there's a lot of little things that happen like that, but we haven't had anything too crazy in many years, which is good. <laughs> There's always a little crap. She, she says too crazy. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Nothing too us, crazy. <laughs> us Flatlanders would lose our mind if we were up in the airplane and just the stupidest thing happened. You couldn't, oh, I couldn't even imagine. Honestly, could That's not even awesome. imagine. There was one time he was flying and we had, I can't remember what happened. I think it was the gas line that, that busted. It was in the work plane actually. So it wasn't in our plane, it was the work plane. And there's gas just spewing out of the engine uh -huh. while it's running and he's like oh crap. that's not good <laughs> you know so he had to land somewhere really quick and get all the fuel shut off because that could have easily created a fire i mean it's just things like that all the time you just have to kind of be on top of your game and be ready in case anything happens we've had some sketchy stuff on skis before because <laughs> we do a lot of trapping in the winter time so we put the airplane on skis so now it's like a four-wheeler on skis with wings and it's just crazy. Like we'll land in a spot and with skis, you don't have brakes. So it's the only thing right. that is a downside, but we'll land in a spot and you just like, it'll be ice and you can't stop. 
and the airplane's just like skidding sideways and you're just like vroom vroom you know trying to get the power to like steer the airplane and you're just like jesus take the wheel like i don't even know where this thing's gonna go <laughs> so there's <laughs> just a lot of it keeps you on your toes you know adrenaline keeps me alive <laughs> got bad there's nothing yeah. wrong with that honestly i think that's kind of cool actually yeah i think i could live like that i could be down with some of that honestly yeah i think one day i'll have to write a book like write a book on all of our crazy things that have happened because that's just the tip of the iceberg but we're still alive to tell the tale so i guess that's the most important (laughs) part right and just keep on living through it but as you get older you're kind of gonna have to like settle down i guess right and not have to do as much crazy (laughs) things because it's not gonna be as easy right and we've settled down a lot already with kids you know you just you're a lot more careful when you have little kids to come home to or even when they're in the airplane you're just a lot more cautious so so what happens when you're out hunting? Like who watches the kids? Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> um, so I don't live near family. I'm 2000 plus miles away from any family. So I have to be pretty strategic in my planning for the year. And so Adam and I actually don't get to hunt a lot together anymore. Mm-hmm. So we take turns. So if I'm out hunting, he'll be at home with the kids. If he's out hunting, I'm obviously home and we'll take turns. We have some neighbors here with kids. They pitch in and we'll help for those quick little trips. Um, my daughter's 13 now, so she's almost at that age. She can babysit for a couple hours here and there. But um, mainly I fly up nannies. Like I'm flying up a nanny next month to stay with us for a whole month through bear season and deer season. So it's just logistically difficult. Like you, I just have to plan ahead and it can get expensive. Um, but it's so worth it because if Adam and I ever want to hunt together, we have to pretty much fly up a nanny to be here. And sometimes it's my mom and sometimes it's family, but sometimes they're busy working and I need to find somebody else. So right. it's not like, Hey mom, like dropping the kids off, you know, it's, it's hard. I'm thousands of miles away and nobody out here really babysits other than our neighbors. And so it's definitely difficult. That's wild. So what you, you had an, uh, incredible caribou season in the beginning and you shot an absolute just an absolute stud. Why don't you take us through a little bit of how that kind of went for you and how you even got into doing that and so on and so forth. Yeah. So to give you a little backstory on this caribou, I killed a giant caribou two years ago. Well, I I first killed a giant like four years ago. Okay. (laughs) Everybody told me I I would never kill a bigger one. The next year I killed a bigger one. It was a giant, one of the biggest caribou people have seen in many, many years. And so then that one was, you're never, ever going to top of that one. And so I actually mounted that one. I went after him three different times. I had to go out three different times after this thing. He would just keep giving me the slip and I couldn't get close to him. And then I like ran out of babysitting time and I had to come back and like find another babysitter and go out, you know, it was just this thing. And then with our hunting, we can't ever hunt the same day. So it's not like it used to be in Idaho where I go on day hunts while they're in school, you know, here we can't hunt same day airborne or the same day we've been in an airplane. And so every single time you hunt, you have to camp out and wait till the next day. So it usually turns into longer trips. So anyway, I got this really big caribou a couple of years ago. I'm like, never going to top it. Last year, I got another Booner, but it wasn't as big, you know, so I've actually killed four Booner Crockett here, but I don't know how I, it might just be my luck string. I don't know. Um, 
So this year I just went out for some meat. They kind of changed this area in the hunt and they shut down my, my regular area. And I was a little nervous of how I was going to tag out because caribou is our favorite meat. It's one of our just favorite meats to get in the freezer. And I wasn't going for anything huge. I just wanted a meat bowl basically. Cause I already got my giant, like I'm good. And so, um, just to kind of backtrack a little bit this spring i went on a bear hunt with my brother i kind of was his next of kin guide he's a non-resident from idaho he came up did a brown bear hunt with me he killed a 10 foot six boar but it charged us um i was five yards from it before it died thought i was dead like it was very much a near-death experience it was super sketchy um, he saved our life with a pistol. It was a very long story. You can watch it on my social media and I talk about it a lot. So it was just really traumatizing for me to be out in the woods. So when this caribou hunt came around, like it's only been four months since the bear incident. It's only been four months since I almost died from a 10 foot bear tearing my face apart. And I didn't have a babysitter. It was like super last minute. Um, but I just had like a little break in weather that I really wanted to go. And my husband's like, you're going to have to do it solo. And I said, oh, like, I, you know, I'm a little scared of bears right now. I don't know if I can go out there solo right now. This is a little too, too soon, <laughs> too soon to do this. And he's like, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. And I'm like, okay, okay. I'll just go for one day. He said, I'll just go one night. I'll hunt the next day. You can come pick me up the next night if I don't get anything. And so we just fly around and we kind of look for where the caribou are but there were no herds, like no herds of caribou at all. There was one lone caribou looked like a pretty decent bull. I'm like, I have no idea what the chances are of you like dropping me off a few miles from the thing and me finding it tomorrow. I mean, they migrate so fast and they'll go like 10 miles overnight. So one caribou. Okay, sure. I'll chase after. There was no other caribou that we could find. And I didn't even honestly get a close look at it. I was like, Oh, there's a bull. Like, sure. I'll try it. So he drops me off in the middle of nowhere several miles from home, like literally stranded in the wilderness of Alaska in bear country. And I'm not going to lie, that night was pretty rough for me mentally. I just, I had a lot of like flashbacks and like nightmares and it was kind of tough because it was only four months after I had done this last hunt and it was really traumatic for me. But I'm like, it's okay. I can do this. If I can get past this, I'm like back on the horse and I can get back in the wilderness again because this is what I love to do. And so that next morning I was just glassing and glassing and glassing. Couldn't find him anywhere. I'm like, he is so gone. I mean, I can see five miles from here and who knows where he's at. How do you find one caribou in the middle of nowhere? Right. And so I just keep hiking and there's kind of these little divots and ridges and stuff. So I'm like, maybe he's hiding behind one of those. So I took a few hours to kind of like go hike all these different ridges and kind of glass behind them. So a couple hours into the morning, I get to this little ridge and I see movement and I pull up my binos and sure enough, there's the bull. He's like 800 yards away. He's feeding in a bunch of bushes, like next to this little lake. And I actually brought my bow on this hunt because normally I'm in a spot that's straight tundra, but in this spot, I actually had a little bit of cover. I had a couple alders, like two trees, <laughs> not, not a lot, but I had a little bit of cover that I'm like, I really want to get a caribou with my bow. That was kind of a new goal that I had. I already shot my giant. Like I would love to just get a caribou with my bow. And I'd been trying for a couple of years. And so I took my bow on this hunt 
and I see him 800 yards away. I'm like, game on. Like, I found him. As soon, once I find an animal, I can usually make it happen because I usually have a rifle just in case. With a bow, it's going to be tough. So I was straight upwind of him. So I quickly circled downwind, but he's in the wide open. Like, all my trees and bushes that I want to recover, yeah, those are gone. He went way far away from those. He's now <laughs> in the flat open tundra with some tall grass some bushes intermixed but not much like really not much cover at all so i'm like running almost like in a direct squat um trying to get just downwind of him and i get downwind of him i'm probably now about 400 yards away 500 yards somewhere in there and uh i hear my husband's words in my head because he kind of gave me a little pep talk before i went and he's like you're never going to kill anything with a bow if you have a gun in your hand which is so true with me like Oh, he's right there. I can shoot him with a gun. So I was like, the only way I'm going to kill this with a bow is if I drop the gun right here. And it was very hard for me. <laughs> it was really okay. hard. So I dropped my gear, dropped my pack, dropped my gun. I took the bow and the rangefinder and my GoPro. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. And he was like kind of working towards me. So I just kind of worked toward him like, this might actually work out. And my wind was really loud. And so that kind of, you know, allowed me to be a little bit louder so I kind of sneak in the only way that I can, trying to kind of cut him off. And then he disappears in kind of this brush and, and ridge and stuff. So I glass him. I actually find a tip of his antler. It's it's in velvet, but I, I glassed a tip, like right above this bush. And I'm like, sweet. Now he's 300 yards. I'm just going to sneak in. So I belly crawled all the way into him to 37 yards to where I could finally see him at 37. And he is just in the worst <laughs> position possible for an archery shot he is bedded quartering to me all i have is top you know front shoulder high shoulder and his neck and his neck is turned all i see is his neck and top the top of his shoulder i'm like crap there's no way and i couldn't circle to his left because that's where the wind was coming from i had a direct 30 knot crosswind and i couldn't circle downwind the other way because it was wide open grass and there was no nothing to hide behind i was kind of behind a little bush and that was it and so I'm like, you know, the only thing I can do right now is play the waiting game. So I'm just sitting there 37 yards from this thing for, I swear, 20 minutes at least. And I'm just sitting there like, I don't know what to do. I can't, I have no shooting lane. He also had grass like up to his shoulder. So he's in this tall grass. He was bed. All he had to do was stand up and I had a perfect shot at 37 yards. He would just go broadside a little bit, but uh, he never did. And the thing that I didn't really think about is when the gust of winds come here in Alaska, it shifts a little bit. So even if you have a really steady wind from a certain direction, when you get a gust, it'll shift like 30 degrees and it'll do these little bursts and shifts and swirl a little bit with the gusts. And so something must have happened there with the wind because he didn't see me. I didn't move. I was just ready to draw. And he snorted and huffed right in his bed before he even got up. So he must have smelled me. The wind you know, there's a big wind gust that shifted towards him. He smelled me and he jumped up and I went to draw back to try to get a shot off before he took off. And I don't, he didn't even wait a second. I mean, he was like up and out to 80 yards in a second. It was just, it was crazy. I didn't have a shot at all. I was going to try to shoot him before he took off. But so that really sucked for me because now I have a huge caribou. At this point, I see how big he is. I see he's a really nice bull and he's a hundred yards from me standing broadside. And all I have is a freaking bow. And I'm like, and it's blowing 30. And I'm like, ah, I left the gun. <laughs> what was I thinking? 
<laughs> I had a pistol, but that was about it. So um, this thing just starts doing a big circle around me. And I just stood up. I'm like, I don't even know what to do now. Like, I'm not even going to get a second chance. He busted me. He smelled me. But he didn't just take off running that direction. He circled around me. And then he ran right toward my gear and my gun. And so I just ran full speed behind it. And every time he would like look back, I'd just hit the deck, you know, hope he didn't see me. And then he'd get up and keep going. And we did this for, you know, a good half mile. I mean, it was close to like 700 yards by the time I actually ranged it. I was like, holy crap. So I was sprinting like through the tussocks and the, and the grass and the brush. I'm just trying to get to my gun before this thing is gone forever. At this point, I'm like, screw you, Bo, you're worthless. <laughs> So I get back to my gun and he's gone. He's just, he's like 600 yards away. He went up in the trees a little bit, this little ridge and trees and he was gone. I'm like, shoot, I screwed it up. This is what happens when I pick up a bow. You don't kill anything. (laughs) So I wait there for just a couple of minutes. And for whatever reason, he came circling back and gave me a shot at 400 yards. He just came back like must have forgot I was there I think he knew because he kept kind of looking in my direction but he was just again doing a big circle around me at about 400 yards now in a wide open like swampy grassy area and so I'm trying to get a range and set up and now it's rainy and it's foggy and I don't know if you ever try to range anything when it's like flat grass but it's pretty tough like you just can't get a consistent range in a running caribou through the grass (laughs) and I'm trying to like whistle and trying to get into stop and he just won't so I'm like, whatever, I'm just going to fling, fling lead. And so, um, I'm pretty confident with a rifle though. I'm, I have a lot of practice with them, even running. And so I set up, it was about 400 yards. He was still trotting and I shot him and he ran like 50 yards and dropped. And I was like, Whoa, <laughs> what just happened. Awesome. And then I ran up to him and yeah, it was just, it was crazy because I had him so close, so close with the bow. It was like, is going to happen. I, I said in my head, like, Oh, this is so sealed, sealed deal. You know, I found the caribou. I'm 37 yards from it. I got an arrow knocked. Like what could possibly go wrong? Oh, he could smell me. <laughs> 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 but just the fact that he ran toward my gear so that I was able to get my gun and still get a shot and finish him off was just awesome. So, um, hindsight, you know, I really don't know what I would have done differently. Maybe tried to have a, decoy or something to to get him to stand up caribou are pretty curious animals or maybe i could have stood up myself and he would have stood up but is, is that up. really a thing that they use that you you use a lot of decoys in hunting up there or we do i mean we have them that go on the bow mm-hmm. if you right i forget what the company is called like ultimate predator or something yep but they quit making a caribou one And I asked them about it this year. I said, I really need a caribou decoy because if you had something like that, caribou aren't super smart. They're pretty curious. They'll come walking up to you. And so I asked them for one. They're like, no, we discontinued it. So I didn't have one. Um, It would have been really nice, but thinking about the wind, I'm not sure how it would have done on my bow when it was blowing that hard. Anyway, it's kind of like a kite. So um, (laughs) try to hold aim on that. (laughs) Like maybe a caribou decoy in front of me. I don't, I don't know, but I think it would have at least gotten him curious before he smelled me and then took off, you know, as a lone caribou. Yeah. You don't have a lot of eyes on you. And so he was probably, he probably would have been curious if he would have just seen something, seen something there that made him stand up and give me a shot or I don't know, but yeah, it was, 
it was pretty awesome. I was pretty gassed after the whole sprinting episode <laughs> and then trying to shoot it running. <laughs> it seems like that whole hunt was just meant to be like the yeah. single, the single caribou and then being able to get on him. And then like, it was just kind of like, it seemed like a life lesson because you want to shoot it with the bow and then it went towards the gun. That's just, that's absolutely wild. Yeah. And then it like left and then it came back and it's just like, well, this is meant to be, I guess. And, that's nuts. Yeah. It just meant a lot to me because of that solo hunt. That was the first solo hunt I've done in Alaska. I've done them in Idaho before, but like being in the middle of nowhere in Alaska is kind of eerie. Oh you yeah, know? I bet. Several miles from home, there's no roads. You're at least 300 miles from the nearest hospital, you know, anything could happen. And you're just out there by yourself like, all right, this is it. <laughs> we're, we're doing this. <laughs> we're doing it. So you had mentioned before about, about you can't hunt the same day that you fly. Yeah. Why is that? Probably fair chase rules. Okay. It would be way too easy, honestly, to like find an animal, land next to it and shoot it out of an airplane. Like it would just be probably pretty unfair to the animal and no fair chase there. And it would probably get abused quite a bit or people would try to shoot from airplanes or, you know, it would just be a mess. So you have to wait till 3 a.m. the next day to hunt. So. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Now you... You started explaining that you had three and never thought you'd see one bigger. How much bigger did this one go? Yeah, honestly, I was still shocked. I, I walked up to it and I messaged my husband on the inReach. I'm like, this bull's pretty big. Like, I don't know how big, but he's right up there with my other one, I think. And so I cut him all up. My husband came out after I had him all cut up. We packed it out together. He flew it home. And then we scored it as soon as we got home. And... It's kind of tough with velvet. I'm not sure. Like we, we did it super conservatively and then we did it kind of with the velvet and he scored anywhere between like 460 and 470. That was kind of his range. If you did it super conservative and then like giving him a little, you know, so 460 plus is kind of what I call him. And, um, my other biggest bull scored 454. So he was a 450s bull. This one's 460s world records, like 470 or 476 so he's like up there he would have been the new pope and young world record which ugh. <laughs> <laughs> <I didn't go. laughs> what is it what is it pope and young what is the record pope and young pope and young? record is like 440s oh you would have crushed it yeah oh so the next one's gonna go with the bow then like you determined to shoot it with the bow yes no well, matter what no it's a new world record i might just <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say that that's putting a lot of faith. In. <laughs> wow. I always just... say bow or bust. Well, actually I did that with my moose hunt this year. I said bow or bust and I I set down the rifle and I got it down with the bow. So I did do it once. <laughs> Take us through that because you had just a, an incredible season. I want to hear about now the moose hunt because that's something that you wanted to do was shoot one with a bow and you did it. And that was no no slouch of a bull neither. No, it it's no, he likes he scores Boone and Crockett. Yeah, he He's he was nearly what eighty back. inches. No, the, so that first bull was a friend of ours that came out and hunted with my husband. He was seventy five. Mine is okay. sixty five, but he scores really well because his pans are almost twenty four inches wide. Wow! And he's got like really long fronts, and so he scores way better than we thought he was going to. So, but yeah, both book bulls that my husband, you know, put both of us on and like. A week or two weeks time yeah wow how did that hunt so go for you 
It was awesome. I mean, just like caribou, I've been trying to get a moose with my bow for a while. And, you know, more importantly, like I'm not going to come home empty handed. If I have an opportunity, I'm going to shoot with a rifle. I'm going to fill a freezer like end end of story. But it's really easy (laughs) for me now to shoot things with a rifle because as long as I find the animal, like I can make it happen. But with a bow, like it just forces you to have an even greater challenge. So with this hunt, I was pretty set on bow or bust this year because we already had a full moose in the freezer and we like to live on at least a moose and a half and then share the rest of that moose with, you know, other families in need and stuff in the community. But I wasn't like, oh, I need a moose right now to fill the freezer. So I'm going to try it with a bow and see if I can do it. So I actually got to go out with my husband. I wasn't supposed to, I was planning on going out with a buddy of mine for a week and he was going to, you know, call for me. Um, kind of later in the season when the rut really hit and I was going to get one with my bow, hopefully. Um, but we had the worst weather all of September. I mean, fog, rain, fog to the trees. You could hardly fly. You couldn't even get out of your tent. It was like, you know, 34, 40 mile an hour winds. It was like that for days on end. And we had four days of perfect weather that popped up on my husband's three-day weekend. And he's like, I'm going hunting. Cause I still have a tag since my buddy shot it last week. Like, do you want to come with? And I was like, yeah, I do, but I don't have a babysitter. And so last minute I scrambled, I found a babysitter for the weekend. Cause they also had a three day weekend. It just happened to work out. And I went out with Adam. And so I messaged my buddy and I'm like, Hey dude, I don't know if I'm going to be able to hunt next week. Um, I'm going out with Adam this, these three days. It's his tag. But if he passes on a bull, I'm going to try it with my bone. He's like, don't worry. I'm out. I got, I just got COVID and I'm like, Oh, okay, good. Now, now I got to kill something. <laughs> you know, <laughs> no, I can't go next week. I got to kill him this weekend. So we get out there and it's just beautiful weather. It's like 20 degrees, really cold for September, but it was sunny and clear skies, but it was super windy. It was really windy. It was really cold. And that first morning we roll out of the tent and there's three bulls within 300 yards of camp. I'm like, Adam, get the gun. Like, I'm going to get the bow. And we're looking at these bulls and none of them are like huge, like crazy big bulls and we were kind of wanted to hold out a little bit since we didn't need a moose right then and we're looking at these bulls and one just starts kind of coming toward us so adam starts cow calling he stands behind me i have an arrow knocked it's coming in it stops at 80 yards and then ran away so i was like if he's if he was gonna walk by me i would have shot him but he just kind of held up at 80 didn't really see what he wanted to see and left so that was kind of exciting you know i I rolled out of the tent had an arrow knocked within like the first half hour of the day and it was just a really cool spot. There was moose everywhere. You, you glass over here and there's a bull and you glass over here and there's five cows. And I mean, there's just in moose Mecca, really. We were in the middle of it. And the greatest thing that I love about having our airplane and my husband and his skills is in this certain area, he could land so many different places. And so he's like, we can go anywhere. You can hike five miles over there and kill a bull. You can hike way over there and kill a bull. The biggest thing with moose is you want to kind of think about the pack out you don't really want to pack one more than a half mile if you can (laughs) you can help it and so usually we just kind of stay close to camp call try to get one within a mile of camp but and and we could have with a rifle there but in this situation he's like you can go anywhere you want i can land pretty much within a mile of anything so i'm like perfect and so that made the hunt really fun because you could actually hike around kind of like elk hunting and you know glass and then screw that one up and then go on to the next one. (laughs) Like it was really, really fun. So by that afternoon, we had seen several bulls, but hadn't really gotten close to any of them. 
we find a really, really nice bull as we're hiking down the ridge. I was actually kind of going after one two miles away and I would have had to cross a river and it's going to be a really nasty hike. And we start hiking and there's one, he's like big bull. And I look in front of me and there's, you know, 600 yards away. There's a nice bull working his way right toward us. I'm like, perfect. And he tries to hand me the gun. He's like, here you go. I'm like, no, I'm not shooting it with the gun. He's like, but why not? It's right there. <laughs> and I just said, give me a chance with the bow. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then I asked him, cause he had a tag. I'm like, do you want to shoot with the rifle? It's your hunt. And he's like, no, no, you do it. And I'm like, okay, cool. So he gets all set up. He was just going to stay back and call. And I was going to close the distance and it's pretty windy. It's blown 20 gusts and 30, probably just really windy again. So I start closing the distance. He's kind of weaving in and out of these alders. And every time he puts his head down, I just run in, you know, as fast as I can. When he's not looking, he looks up, I stop, you know, kind of the usual archery stock. And I get about 200 yards away and he's just held up. Adam's calling. He's looking at it, you know, kind of Adam's direction, but he doesn't want to come. He doesn't know what he's looking for. He's doing some grunts and raking cow calls, trying to see what he likes. And what I found in this later part of the rut with moose is if you can get within their territory, like within a hundred yards and then rake, they come running, but they're kind of skeptical to go out of their zone. If they already have some cows close, kind of like elk do. Right. Right. So I kind of look back at Adam, like I'm going to get closer. And I had to cross this little ravine and cross this little Creek and get up through this brush to get up on the same ridge he was at and get within a hundred yards of him. And it was a little bit of a risk because I didn't know if he was going to, cross me and I was going to miss him while I was doing that little thing and lose eyes on him. But I'm like, whatever he's held up. I, he's not moving. I got to get closer. So I just bombed down across that thing up through the brush. It was super windy. I was not worried about sound at all. Cause it was just howling and the brush is just crashing with the wind. And I get up on the other Ridge. I'm now about 150 yards from where I saw him last. And I look up the Ridge and he starts running at me. And I think he heard me crashing. He must've, he must've heard me just kind of fighting the alders as I was getting up on the right. other side of that little ravine and he was coming to fight. He thought I was a moose. And so I didn't have time to like get up the Ridge and get better cover. I, I just kind of hopped behind the smallest little quick, you know, closest bush I could find, which wasn't very big. And I'm looking through <laughs> this bush and this huge bull moose is just like running down the Ridge at me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, he's going to trample me. What do I do? <laughs> I had left my pistol with my pack, which is a bad idea. I should have had that on me just in case I did get trampled. But all I had was a bow. And I'm like, this might actually work. He's now 80 yards, 50 yards, 40 yards. And then he stops. He keeps looking over where Adam is calling, but he doesn't want to go there. He wants to find the moose that he just heard crashing through the brush. So he just keeps kind of walking toward me and he stops at 17 yards. So I'm behind the bush, 17 Jeez. yards away from him. And I'm, I'm just looking at this thing, dude. And I'm like, he's towering over me. I'm up to his shoulder or his elbow, maybe. I mean, they're so big when you're that close, you don't even realize it. He looks like it two Clydesdales together. And I'm looking at this thing like, oh my gosh, <laughs> keep it together. <laughs> keep it together. <laughs> and he just stops. And I'm like, a couple more steps, he's going to be on top of me. I need to come to full draw. And I was behind the bush. I couldn't see him. So I came to full draw and I stepped out and around the bush, which put me at about 15 yards. And as I stepped out from the bush, he flinched. He saw a little bit of movement there. He flinched and he turned the other way, which actually gave me a little bit more of a broadside shot, but he was quartering to me still. 
a little bit. So I tried to tuck it close to the shoulder. I had, took one step back. I literally one second before he was going to see me and bust and I flung an arrow and I saw the hit. It looked super solid. It sounded good. And he took off running. He stopped again. Cause Adam kept calling. He stopped at 50 yards. I went to draw. He did. He moved like a couple more steps, which I didn't realize for a moose is like 10 yards with a couple steps. <laughs> I didn't re-range. I didn't re-range. I, I thought he was 50. I thought he stayed the same level from me or the same distance. And I shot for 50 and I shot under him. Like my arrow drops 18 inches from 50 to 60. And so I should have shot for 60 and I shot for 50 and I shot under him. And I was like, oh crap. Because he was actually really broadside there and I could have got another arrow in him. And looking back at the video, because I got all this in video if it, if I did shoot for 60, like that perfect 18 inches would have been double long, like perfect. So I was super mad at myself for just misranging it. And so he just ran off and he wasn't going very fast. He did look hurt. The arrow looked good. I could see the fletchings. I could see the luminoc. I'm like, oh yeah. Like moose have a huge vital area. Right. Like definitely got lungs, you know, and he's just kind of slowly trotting off. And at this point I'm like, holy crap. Like I just shot a bull moose with my bow. What the heck just happened? I just ran into me and he ran into me at 15 yards. So I look back at my husband. He's like, just come back here. You know, you just don't want to push him. And he just kind of disappeared through the alders. And I'm like, okay, hopefully it's good. So I pulled back to where he was like 300 yards away. And we sat there for a minute and uh, we kind of reviewed the footage. And then once we reviewed it and slowed it down, we realized how quartering he was. And when he turned, my arrow was like really angled, kind of angled into the back a lot more than I thought it was. And so I knew it was angled back toward the guts. And then I felt sick because I was like, I thought that was a perfect shot. You know, I thought I hit six inch, six inches behind the front shoulder, like dead on. He was quartering to me. Oh no, like what happened? And so we just, I was just sick over the footage and we never saw him go down. So we're like, you know, let's just get a better vantage point. We kind of pulled back, never found him. And then like an hour or two later, we did find him. We could glass him like a thousand yards away where he was bedded. And he was not in a spot where I could go in and finish him off without bumping him because he was surrounded by all this brush. And so, you know, I'll just be pretty honest as an archery hunter, like things happen, crap happens the last thing you ever want to do is wound an animal and watch it be alive still. Like it made me sick to my stomach. And I knew the only thing that I could do was just leave him and just hope that he didn't suffer for very long. And it was already like almost dark. And so we left him for that night and I didn't sleep and I didn't eat and I wanted to throw up. I just, I was so mad at myself, you know, like you, you go back a million times in your head, like, what could I have done differently? Why did I do that? Right. Why did I do it this way? You know, you try to figure out, how to do it perfect. But at the end of the day, we all make mistakes and we never get it perfect sometimes. So, um, the next morning I was just still sick, <laughs> but we're like, let's just go to where he was bedded. We should be able to find him. Cause he hadn't moved. He would, he just kind of stayed there the whole time. And he was surrounded again by lots of brush, lots of alders, willows, tall trees. So we hike in the next morning, gave him lots of time, hiked in to his bed. He's gone nothing, no blood, no hair, no guts, no nothing. And I'm just sick and oh God, great. And it's impossible to dry track a moose and alders. I mean, I don't know if you've done it before, but usually can't say <laughs> you I can't. have, but it doesn't sound fun. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> it's nope, so brushy. never been there. 
<laughs> like it's over your head. You can't even mm -hmm. see anything. And then you can't see any tracks because it's all brush and grass. And then you just can't find blood because they often like their their hair is so thick. <laughs> their hair is like this thick. You know, yeah, it just mats everything up. And so we just did zigzags and I kind of stayed back and watched too. Like we separated. I was trying to see if we bumped him anywhere, if he was still alive. And we just could not find him. We didn't hear anything. We didn't see anything. So I'm like, I think he's dead. I just don't know where. And there was like this tall patch of trees close to where he was bedded. And I asked my husband, I'm like, you walked through that, right? You got that, that spot. He's like, yeah, I walked through there. I never saw him. It's like, oh, okay, I don't know what to do. So after I could, you not like five hours of tracking and we're just getting exhausted. It's a really nice day. He's like, I think it's dead. We need to fly. <laughs> we need to use our airplane and maybe we can see him. It's just too brushy for us to zigzag every piece of this right. when it's over our head. And I'm like, okay, let's do it. But the risk with that is like, if it's alive, I can't shoot right. again that yep. day. You got to wait. You know? So you got to wait. Oh, so. Yeah. I didn't think of it like that. Wow. Yeah. So that's <laughs> so like a last like, resort kind of thing at that point. Totally. Yeah. Totally last resort. But as we looked at the shot, you know, I'm like, I know he's going to die. He had to have died. We just don't know where he's at. And we never saw him bump. So at least in the airplane, we can either see if he's alive and gone and fine or see if he's dead, hopefully. So we hop in the airplane. It's now afternoon. It's starting to get warm. I'm worried about the meat. You know, I'm just like a nervous wreck. <laughs> and we start flying. Can't find him. Can't find him alive or dead. So I'm like, well, I know he's not alive or we would see him because you can see a live moose everywhere. And we're pretty good at spotting animals from the plane. But it was just so many alders. <laughs> you can't really see through alders. So I'm like, he probably went in the nastiest, thickest stuff there possibly is. And we're just going to have to find him in there. So we did probably 100 circles around this area where we just gritted and zigzagged and saw nothing. And at this point, I am like almost in tears. I'm just sick that I wounded an animal. And we land the airplane. We take a little bit of break because I got really nauseous just from all the, the circles. I started getting air sick too. I was already nauseous from not eating and sleeping. And then I, all the circles, I was really sick. So I'm like, I need to land for a second. I need to just regroup. So we land and we're just kind of sitting in silence for a little bit. And we're like, okay, what are we going to do? And I was like, I think you just take me home and just not let me hunt again. And he's like, Tana, don't be dumb. Like, we're not going to give up. I'm like, okay. <laughs> He's like, we can zigzag through those alders. I will zigzag through those alders for three days if I have to. That moose is not alive. He's dead and we're going to find him. And he's like, okay, I'll do it. So we decided to do one last little loop with the airplane and then start killing ourselves through the alders, through the thickest stuff that we couldn't see through from the airplane. And we do one pass and he looks down and he's like, is that him? <laughs> <laughs> so to kind of backtrack when we were zigzagging this morning he's in the pile of trees yes when we were zigzagging that morning there was a small bull he was probably like 30 or 40 inches he came up behind me at about 40 yards grunting right next to me and i had this feeling of like this is kind of funny or weird i don't know but i had this feeling of like this little bull might know where my bull is at like he's gonna go to him and when we had been doing those hundreds of circles, we thought that the moose in the trees was this bull because he was there. Gotcha. <laughs> he was there like, standing up. So we'd see a moose bedded and then we'd see a moose standing and we're like, oh, like it's that bull. Well, when we did that circle that time, we see the bull out of the trees and then we see the bull bedded in the trees. And we're like, wait, <laughs> there's nice. a moose there. 
<laughs> so he was standing over it actually, which is kind of horrible, horrible. But this little bull was standing pretty close to where this bedded bull was all morning long. And I'm just watching him all morning. You know, we walked 20 yards from this dead moose six hours prior. I mean, he was dead the whole time. He was only 40 yards from his bed the night before. It was just, uh, well, I was so excited when we saw him there. We did one more circle just to make sure. And sure enough, just laying down moose, saw the Luminoc and the arrows sticking out of it. And I just lost it. I was just like, yeah, he's dead, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it was like the lowest lows for a really long time. We were really mad at ourselves for walking by it. And the other funny thing to add to this stalking or, you know, tracking story is my husband actually tried climbing a tree in that tree patch <laughs> to try to sleep better. <laughs> oh, wow. And he climbed the tree like, 15 yards from where it died oh, and so we were we were doing circles around it all morning we just couldn't see it so thankfully after that one circle we just kind of like saw it and saw the other moose and he had moved from it and then we're like wait there's two moose <laughs> and that one's dead <laughs> it was crazy that's amazing <laughs> that's nuts it goes to show the how how crazy the wilderness is up there that you cannot yeah. find things up because like when i'm thinking of like oh. when you're telling the caribou story and how flat it is and how you can't get near trees and then with the moose story like there's thick enough alders and stuff that you literally cannot see a full-size moose no they disappear and even when they're standing it's crazy you'll be glassing one and they're huge you know they can be up to 10 mm -hmm. feet tall like the size of a basketball hoop and they'll walk in alders and they'll disappear and you're like, where did it go? How did it disappear? <laughs> so yeah, you have 15 to 20 foot alders and high brush. They disappear in it and they walk through it like it's nothing. But you just feel so small in that country. Because yeah, caribou hunting, like it's wide open. You can see for miles. And then you get in moose country and it's like thicker than thick for many miles. And you have just little openings of tundra and little openings where you can land or little openings where you can see. But if they're in the alders, you cannot see them. It's insane. It's crazy how those big animals, they become ghosts in the woods. Yeah. It really honestly is. Because like and even I mean, up. It was laying there the whole time. It, it wasn't in tall alders. It was in tall grass. So the grass was up to here on me, like up to my chest in that tall tree patch. And we walked 20 yards, from, you know, 15 to 20 yards from it the morning of and never saw it. Like how? Right. <laughs> They're so right. big. But we just went around it instead of going right through that spot. And I on even after I saw him dead and knew where he was at from the airplane, walking up to it, I was doing circles trying to find it. I'm like, where is this thing? <laughs> you know? They're just big animals, but they hide. <laughs> That's so cool. So that is so awesome. I, I I can't believe I mean you've had just an absolute incredible season and especially killing a giant moose with the bow and then a giant caribou i mean what else is in store for you for the season um so next week my husband and i are going on a bear hunt which again is going to be difficult for me because <laughs> it's going to be a repeat of this spring oh yeah huh um but i'm just going to be his backup for now and just try to overcome my fears i guess um, <laughs> hopefully he gets a good one. He's trying to talk me into archery and I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't need, you don't want to do a bear, bear with an archery again. Yeah. <laughs> right. I don't blame you. I, well, I shot one with a bear or with a bow two years ago. I don't know if you know that, but I shot a brown bear with my bow the same year I got that big caribou. Mm -hmm. 
And I was like, oh yeah, overcome my fears. I'm the ultimate predator. And now since this spring experience of being charged by one with a rifle, I was like, yeah, no, I don't know why I ever did that. That was a bad idea. <laughs> so that's going to so, be tough for you to be in the bush with, with bears again and be on a hunt. Yeah. And I'll be in a similar area too. So you're going to own it. Bring yeah. back a lot of memories, but I can do it. I, I messaged my husband after I got charged by that bear and had the near death experience. And I was like, never let me bear hunt again. Well, here I am. <laughs> ding, <laughs> you know, ding. Going bear hunting. Back out. So I'm either crazy or brave. I don't know. Um, so we're doing that bear hunt. And then you've got a big Kodiak hunt coming up. My brothers are flying up from Idaho. And we're all going on like a two-week, you know, goat steer extravaganza. It's going to be a lot of fun. Awesome. So. That is too cool. Yeah. And then trapping begins and then we just keep going. (laughs) So it never ends for you. It just constantly keeps going. I think I'm on my way to Alaska. I'm over this. (laughs) (laughs) I need, I need some of that in my life. That's awesome. Well, Tana, we really appreciate you joining us. Honestly. Um, I do have one last question for you uh, that we kind of ask everybody. um, And you've kind of explained it, but we'll just, we'll ask it anyways. Maybe you got a different answer is uh, what drives you outdoors? Other than your plane, I normally say the car, but so I can say the plane this time. <laughs> yeah, like what? What do I like about it? What? Yeah, what? What? What just? What drives you? What? What turns your gears to get you out in the outdoors? Like what? What makes you every day want to go out in the outdoors? It's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> so for me, it's really kind of an escape in a way. So. I like being away from people <laughs> and away from the world and away from the chaos and away from the drama. And so being in the woods to me is a perfect escape. It's peaceful. It's just a great time to like connect with nature and myself and my family and not have to worry about anything else. I always say like when I am hunting, the world could end and I wouldn't know it because I'm literally in the middle of nowhere. And so it's kind of like a safe haven in a way, but also just a really good break from the world. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, I grew up doing it. And so I, I just feel at home out there, just like I feel at home in Alaska. I feel at home when I'm in the woods more than I am like in a city or something. And so, um, I just want to do it as much as possible. It's perfect. We, we could all be really good friends because yeah, <laughs> away from the world right now sounds like a oh. really good idea. Yeah. So, I know. Right. I know. I'm like, I'm really glad I'm leaving for like the next month hunting, just solid. I'm just going to come home to see my kids when I miss them. And then I'm going to go back out <laughs> and leave for a bit and come back <laughs> that while my like nanny's a, here. Yeah. It's a, a pretty good situation right there. I think. Well, yeah, it'll be fun. we really want to tell you thanks for jumping on here and for sharing the stories. A um, little bit set back the stuff that you're nonchalant about the everyday person be like, uh, are you kidding me? You know, so it's really cool. It's, I hope it brings some perspective to everybody listening. And for all you guys out there listening, you know what? Thanks for taking the ride right here on the outdoor drive.